This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm sitting with Ernest Valia, who is an old friend from Romania, and Ernest is a prolific author. He is the author of four books in English and others in Romanian. He will provide a brief summary of uh, his most recent books. Um, we will be talking principally about his book, Artificial Intelligence, Reincarnation and Resurrection, which is his most recent book. Uh, it came out in September 2020. Um, uh, Ernest, uh, uh, please uh, introduce yourself briefly, and uh, uh, and then you can also talk about your other books, uh, and then we can uh, hone in and focus on your most recent book. Uh, please go ahead. Hello, and thank you for having me on this podcast. So I hold a bachelor's degree in chemistry awarded by the University of Bucharest, one in theology awarded by Heathrop College London University, and a PhD in theology awarded by the University of Wales for a thesis on Buddhist-Christian dialogue. On the books I have written in English, the four of them, just let me say a few words about each. The first was published in 2009, while I was a doctoral student. It is the Buddha and the Christ reciprocal views. And it is an assessment of how the teachings of the Buddha and the Christ would relate to each other, what they have in common, what is different, and how the teachings of each would work in the context of the teachings of the other. My published PhD thesis is entitled Buddhist-Christian Dialogue as Theological Exchange, an Orthodox Contribution to Comparative Theology. In this book, I assess modern Buddhist-Christian dialogue using the principles of comparative theology and taking as a guideline the views of, on human perfection, as they were defined in Mahayana Buddhism and Eastern Orthodox Christianity. My third book in English is on alternative medicine. The title is The, the Spiritual Dimension of Alternative Medicine, a Christian Assessment. Its intended readers are Christians who want to live consistently with their faith, so it is a tool to help them discover the hidden spiritual beliefs of alternative medicine. And finally, as you already said, the most recent appeared last year and is called Artificial Intelligence, Reincarnation, and Resurrection. All of these are available on Amazon. I would only like to add that recently I launched a YouTube channel in English in which I discuss most of the topics I covered in these books. You can find it by searching my name, Ernest Valea, Questions of Faith. Uh, thank you, Ernest. Um, let me ask you, what made you and uh, to, or what 
kindled your interest about Eastern faiths and Eastern religions, and especially the uh, focusing on the dialogue between Christianity and Eastern faiths? Is there some uh, something that that kindled your interest in that? Were you attracted uh, to by Eastern religions in your personal spiritual journey? Oh, yes. When I became a Christian, uh, that was 33 years ago, I was very interested in how it, my new beliefs relate to Eastern religions, because there was a huge interest in Romania those times in the new religions in yoga and Buddhist meditation. So I decided I must know the truth and understand how it relates to my new faith. Mm -hmm. And so I started a very long journey which still continues mm -hmm. right now. And the fruit is including this book. We will talk in this podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you did a lot of readings and um, just to, to mm -hmm. see what these uh, religions are all about. I see you mostly focused on Buddhism. You, you wrote two books on Buddhism. Um, yes. And, and uh, on Buddhist Christian dialogue. Um would you mind maybe summarizing a little bit your findings in, in that book? What are some common elements between Buddhism and Christianity? And what are some differing elements? You mean my PhD thesis? Buddhist yes, Christian your PhD, yeah, your PhD thesis and your other book, uh, Buddha, The Buddha and the Christ, Reciprocal uh -huh. Views. Well, in this and in all books, I strongly oppose religious syncretism. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the idea that different religions can be combined and integrated and mm -hmm. taken as equally good roads to a similar spiritual fulfillment. Mm -hmm. But I think this is false. And the conclusion of my first book is that there can be no more different teachers in the in human history than the buddha and the christ more opposite in their teachings as the two of them are mm -hmm. well, why do you find them so different uh... well everything they speak of ultimate reality of human nature of what human perfection is on how you can reach human perfection on the afterlife everything is opposite in their teachings. So we cannot be led by such false ideas and fall in the trap of syncretism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you see any common elements between the two? Well, there's a strong emphasis on compassion in Buddhism, mm -hmm. which I like very much. But even this is based on a very strong spiritual conviction that there is no ultimate personal fulfillment. And to be perfect as a Buddhist is to not only believe this idea that there is no personal eternal life, but to convince others. And the highest form of compassion is to teach others the, the teaching of nothingness, shunyata. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it is a compassion that leads to nothingness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's then 
come and focus on your most recent book, um, on uh, which is called Artificial Intelligence, Reincarnation and Resurrection. And it is a very um, uh, daring title. You rarely see these three enumerated in a title. Mm-hmm. Can you explain how the title relates to the book or reflects the argument of the book? Well, the subtitle is an inquiry into the ultimate fulfillment of human nature. And as you know, the most challenging human project and also the greatest hope of humankind is that of defeating death. So in this book, I analyze the two major ways in which we attempt to defeat death. One by the use of science and artificial intelligence and the other is the religious way. And as I stated on the back cover, this book explores all the new hopes that have emerged in the human quest to defeat death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for the first way, there is a whole movement made of computer scientists, neuroscientists and mm-hmm. engineers who take mm-hmm. the goal of defeating death very seriously. Mm-hmm. And as you can guess, the name of this movement is transhumanism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, In this book, uh, before I assess transhumanism in chapter three, in the first two chapters, I look at present debates in the philosophy of mind. Mm -hmm, This is mm -hmm. an important tool in my task. And uh, these uh, debates revolve around four basic questions. What is the mind or the soul? What is the relationship between the mind and the body? What is the self? And what are the criteria by which we establish the continuity of personal identity? Why that? Because um, for assessing the possibility of surviving death, we must first understand what the self is, the core element of our being that makes us the particular persons we are. This is my topic in chapter two. And here comes a worldview called physicalism, Uh, which is a branch of the philosophy of mind that says that everything must be explained in physical terms, including material, material, physical. Mm -hmm. Yes, including human nature. So Mm -hmm. there cannot be and cannot exist an immaterial soul, God and angels. This is the this is the con- uh, conclusion of chapter uh, one, right? That's where you yes. talk about physicalism and consciousness. Yeah. And uh, is in your view this is the main because there are other, uh, let's say, movements in the philosophy of mind uh, that do not necessarily have this reductionist view, right? Of course, there are dualist philosophers, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the main, the main uh, stream is physicalist today in the mm-hmm. philosophy of mind. Oh, uh-huh. really? Okay. Uh, and uh, uh, can you explain dualism briefly for uh, uh, here? Uh, dualism is the view that there are two different ultimate substance, substances, the body that is material, and the mind or the soul that is immaterial. And they are very strangely connected in our body. (laughs) Well, the the first modern dualist philosopher was René Descartes. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. And he was heavily criticized for his view. In fact, all manuals of philosophy of mind start with Descartes, with the criticism of his views and reach a rational, so-called rational physicalist approach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you think that dualism eventually collapses into physicalism? Well, it could not explain how the body and the mind relate as two mm -hmm. different and opposing substances. You cannot mm -hmm. know, you cannot explain it in uh, Cartesian terms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is one of the main difficulties of Cartesianism, right? Yeah, yes. But why uh, physicalism gives up on that enterprise, right? They are much more comfortable to collapse you know, the, the mind and, and, and the body, and, and they're not interested in maintaining that difference, right? I think physicalism is based on a philosophy called scientism. Scientism. Mm -hmm. Scientism. Well, if I can add a few words here. Please, yeah. Science, science cannot prove that God does not exist because that would be a test that goes beyond its limitation. Mm -hmm. So... Science cannot tell us anything about God, about his existence or non-existence, for God mm -hmm. cannot be made an object of scientific investigation. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the belief that science denies the existence of God is actually a philosophy of science. And this is scientism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. argues that the whole of reality must be subject to the possibility of scientific investigation. And everything mm -hmm. that evades this possibility cannot exist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But this is a, just an assumption that science itself cannot prove. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Therefore, mm -hmm. scientism is a philosophy, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. science. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I found it fascinating how you established your, this argument in the book. Uh, in a way, you draw and go back to a, an older philosophical tradition, which is called skepticism. Mm -hmm. And skepticism has been used starting with uh, Montaigne and then all the way to C.S. Lewis. It has been used in a way to turn the tables on the science and say, well, uh, you are not skeptical enough when it comes to things you don't know. Mm -hmm. And you are uh, predicating and constructing theories and definitions about things that are beyond your reach. Yeah. And I, I think that's your argument in a way. Mm -hmm. And, and sh you show how, how scientism really creates a, a very narrow view of, of reality and, and uh, cuts out quite a bit that doesn't fit uh, or doesn't fit it within its range mm -hmm. uh, so uh, can you is there anything uh, else about these uh, first two parts of the book uh, uh, in a way what what are the, the conclusions what is the conclusion there and uh, it's very rich I mean you go to, uh, you, you know you cover a lot of ground uh, philosophical uh, and then you go into neuroscience and psychology it's fascinating so what is the conclusion there uh, for the first two chapters and then we'll, we're going to go to the third chapter which is called from ai to transhumanism the physicalist project to defeat that so what is the conclusion in the first two parts well the from a physicalist point of view 
the self, the quest for the self is unanswered. It must be considered either the body or at least the most significant part of it as the brain, the carrier of mental life and consciousness. Mm-hmm. And for here, from here follow the huge efforts to prolong life in this body or to preserve the body through cryogenics. And on the other hand, that's also in chapter three, if we follow a computationalist assumption, that is if we liken the mind to a computer program, the self must be some kind of information stored in the brain and personal identity could be preserved by downloading this information to some hardware Mm. capable of keeping keeping it functional. But in the conclusion is that physicalist philosopher cannot give a definition, uh, a rational answer to what the self is. They can only Mm -hmm. argue as Buddhist. It is not that, it is not that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. they cannot pinpoint what it really is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then what about the third chapter? What what do you want to prove there? In a way, uh, transhumanism builds on the physicalist argument, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, in chapter three, I explored the ways in which artificial intelligence can give hope to this physicalist project of defeating death, according to the expectations of transhumanism. Mm -hmm. There I discuss questions such as, as, are we just physical machines of great complexity with the brain Mm -hmm. as the hardware on which consciousness operates as its software? And if so, can we speculate on ways in which the mind could be uploaded to a machine and no longer suffer the frailty of this biological body? Or could an Android robot, as Sophia, maybe you've heard of Sophia on the internet, can such an Android robot or a mind file in a computer simulation be conscious? Or even could we emerge with machines and become cyborgs? Maybe you've heard of the Neuralink project, the probably the most recent project of Elon Musk. And in short, my answer to all this question is no, we cannot defeat that like this because we are far from understanding in physicalist terms, what consciousness is and what is the self, the core element that makes us the particular person we are. And if we don't know what something is, we can hardly reproduce it or preserve it mm-hmm. by the use of science. So here you're, you're keen to emphasize the, the mystery, uh, the ultimate mystery of the human being. That's something that... Mm-hmm is beyond scientific investigation or scientific experiment. Yes, the impossibility of explaining human nature in physicalist terms. Mm-hmm. But then, okay, because at the end of the book, I mean, okay, well, I will not go there. Uh, let's take one step at a time. Uh, now, the next chapter is focused on... Um, Eastern religions, it's called human nature in Hinduism and Buddhism. Again, very rich and informative. But then you ultimately, uh, somehow, you are critical of, uh, to put it uh, 
bluntly of let's say of what hinduism and buddhism do when it comes to the question of selfhood and and uh, the question of the mind and maybe i read that wrongly but please go ahead and summarize what you wanted to do here well, we must be aware that Hinduism and Buddhism start from very different assumptions on human nature and immortality from physicalism. Mm -hmm. Hinduism claims that we defeat death by an intrinsic core of our human nature called the self or the Atman, which is a non-physical entity and cannot die. However, it does reincarnate according to a law called karma and is meant to return to its source, this an impersonal ultimate reality called Brahman. And on the other hand, Buddhism has a very particular view on human nature and reincarnation, for it does not acknowledge such permanent, permanent element unaffected by change that could define personal identity. And from, mm -hmm. he, from here, we start talking about reincarnation what it is, how it works, and what does it really preserve from one life mm -hmm. to the next. Mm -hmm. I, I've noticed that interest in reincarnation is huge in the West, mm -hmm. and not only, especially, not only among followers of Eastern religions or New Age enthusiasts. That's because to think that you have lived many lives before this one, and there are countless others ahead, it, to attain perfection can be a very reassuring thought. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, also followers of reincarnation claim that it explains the difference between us and the good and the bad things we experience as originating in a previous life. Mm -hmm. So in chapter five, I an analyze two kinds of proofs for reincarnation, which come up in apparently scientific ways the cases of people who seem to remember their past lives under hypnosis. And these mm -hmm. are adults and other cases in which uh, people remember previous lives spontaneously as children. Also in this chapter, which is the longest, chapter five, I examine another kind of argument in favor of reincarnation, which is the alleged justice it performs by punishing or rewarding the deeds of past lives. Mm -hmm. But my conclusion is that the so-called proofs for reincarnation lack credibility. Mm -hmm. And the so-called justice it performs generates more problems than it solves. Uh -huh. right. I mean, at one point we explain how in Hinduism, you, you, they, the account of the reincarnation misses the notion of continuity, right? That um, the entity that is reincarnated is not anymore related to the previous entity. Am I yeah. correct? Well, what reincarnates is the self, that impersonal core of our being called Atman, mm -hmm. together with a, with a causal body, which keeps the so the imprints of previous lives, but not in a conscious way. It's like a computer file, which dicta dictates the next lives, the hardships we must go through mm -hmm. or the joys we must enjoy. 
Mm-hmm. But it's not something conscious because consciousness stops at death. It cannot mm-hmm. pass. Nothing personal cannot pass from one life to the next. Mm-hmm. 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 And you find that problematic? Of course, because <laughs> that, that that cannot be any form of justice uh, fulfilled mm-hmm. in these terms. Or accountability. Because, uh-huh. mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there is one person doing the bad things and another one reaping their effects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is interesting because I, before reading your book, I thought, well, karma kind of makes sense. If they don't get you in this life, they will get you eventually mm-hmm. in the next. So the, the consequences of your choices, you, you pay for the consequences down the, down the road and until you get rid of all the bad choices or, or you have expiated uh, mm-hmm. or the bad fuel you have accumulated, you have to, but you're saying that even in Hinduism, there is no continuity and therefore no, uh, no continuity of, let's say, self, selfhood, and therefore no accountability. Yeah. And that's so, I just want to add here that Hinduism has reached this position by building a worldview on the assumption that the source of our existence is an impersonal ultimate reality. Mm-hmm. This led to formulating an impersonal view of the self and thus to, to an impersonal fulfillment, so-called mm-hmm. fulfillment of human nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why for a follower of Hindu pantheism, the Christian hope in the resurrection and eternal communion with God mm-hmm. can only be seen as, an, as ignorance, avidya, mm-hmm. which can only mm-hmm. lead to further karma and suffering. Mm-hmm. And I also discussed the way in which Hinduism has reached this uh, pantheistic worldview, starting mm-hmm. from a the polytheistic view of the Vedas, the most ancient Hindu writings. Mm -hmm. Now we come to the last few chapters, right? I think uh, chapter six uh, focuses on Christianity. And then you start by discussing science and faith, but then you offer, let's say, a Christian account uh, of all of these questions you go back and retrieve a combination of Aristotelianism and Thomism. Uh, and then in the last chapter, you bring everything together, uh, the uh, you know, a final battle, so to speak. But before that, let's dwell on chapter six. Uh, what, uh, what's the argument there? And why do you think Christianity provides a better a more uh, acceptable um, account. In chapter six, I analyze the way, as you said, the way human nature is defined in Christianity, following the thought of Thomas Aquinas, which I consider one of the greatest Christian philosophers and theologians. And Christianity states that the Christian way of attaining immortality is the resurrection. It holds that we have a physical body and a non-physical soul, which form a unity. And this view opposes both Eastern views, which affirm that we are souls fallen into physical bodies, 
and also the physicalist view, which considers us as mammals that are so highly evolved that they have acquired consciousness and invented the notion of God. Mm -hmm. The Christian view of immortality is one that requires the preservation of both the soul and the body because we are created as a soul and a body. Both are necessary for us to remain the same person we are now. This is why the Christian view of immortality requires the resurrection of the body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I discussed the resurrection um, using two arguments. Uh, the, I mean the continuity of personal identity through resurrection, the two arguments are taken one from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, and the other one from C.S. Lewis in his essay called Transposition in his collection, The Weight of Glory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, now, as I read that chapter, uh, and it's, it's, I, I found it very, very nice how you combine, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis and Aquinas and Aristotle, now, what, what strikes me a little bit in that chapter is that you are less skeptical, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, so I'm, I'm playing a little bit the skeptical non-believer here, right? Who comes and say, well, uh, why should I, you know, accept or believe what you say in this chapter? Uh, and why were you so skeptical in the previous chapter? Why you were so, you know, you were much more cautious um, and in chapter six, you seem to be much more, okay, you, you, you speak with conviction, let's put it that way, right? Well, and, I, um, go ahead. I stated it from the very beginning, I don't speak as a physicalist philosopher or a new age seeker, but as a Christian. And that's where from my convictions come from. But I, I, I hold that belief in resurrection mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. rational, is not absurd, as some people say. And that, that's why I use these arguments. Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. I, I... Mm -hmm. So in a way for you, yeah, 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 I hear you. Do you hear me okay? So... Uh... Okay, so you 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 disclose this, so you have a certain kind of uh, position and perspective that you assume that you speak like a practicing Christian, and you're evaluating the other positions uh, uh, as such, right? Yeah. And and in a way, your approach is to compare and contrast the the Christian position with. Uh, the positions of, of science or scientism and the Eastern positions. And uh, why is the Christian position in a way for uh, the, the most acceptable and, and uh, the one that makes more sense to you? Well, first of all, it's because I, I converted to Christianity many years ago and I, I found it the most fulfilling way of uh, living this life and of hoping for eternal life. Mm -hmm. it's, I, I found it because uh, God revealed himself. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a human devised way. 
towards God, but it's the way how God revealed himself. Exactly as we mentioned, uh, C.S. Lewis is a transposition. Mm-hmm. He, came, he came down from the third dimension to our two-dimensional world, if you remember that story. Uh, of the, of, he speaks of a, of a microbe that lives in the space, in a flat space, in, as a flatlander, as, for example, in the space between two uh, microscope slides. And... Uh, is able on, only to move in those two dimensions. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only way a flatlander could comprehend that a three-dimensional world exists would be for a creature living in that world to limit herself to the constraints of the two-dimensional world and teach her what is out there. And this is exactly what Christ did this in, in his incarnation. Mm-hmm. He made himself one of us and taught us about what human nature is and the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And because I found his revelation very convincing, I decided to follow him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and maybe help others to find this way. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, what about the sex last chapter? Um, um so in a way there you 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 provide a very interesting account of how reincarnation has been rejected in the christian tradition uh in in a way very early on right that it is something that is specific to gnosticism which is heresy that christianity has rejected um can you um offer some Concluding remarks, observations using chapter seven. Well, uh, in, in that chapter, I examined the claims that the Bible once taught reincarnation and that several texts in the Bible prove it, such as John the Baptist being the reincarnation of the prophet Elijah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I also challenged the assertion that several church fathers taught reincarnation, especially Origen. And it was removed at the Fifth Ecumenical Council mm-hmm. in Constantinople. And finally, I conclude that reincarnation is incompatible with Christian faith, for it compromises its view of God, ethics, and salvation. And the most and easiest way to understand why Christians reject reincarnation is that it compromises the Christian teaching of salvation, which emphasizes the necessity of Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. Mm -hmm. If we were to pay for our sins in future lives in order to gain salvation, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was irrelevant and absurd. Mm -hmm. If reincarnation is true, we we should believe that Jesus died on the cross as a punishment for his own sins from Mm -hmm. previous lives which is absurd. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, but why do you think, uh, as you said earlier, reincarnation and the Eastern view this of, of reality, uh, the cycles and uh, has such a attraction in, 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 uh, in the West, right? And especially, you know, you, you, explain how after the fall of communism in Romania, although we have a 
you know, very strong ascetical tradition in the Orthodox Church, these things became very attractive. Uh, do you think it offers something people do not find in Christianity or they think they don't find? Well, what they find, for instance, in Buddhism, which is the Eastern religion that uh, puzzles me, puzzles me most, is that it is a religion without God in which you are entitled to find perfection by your own strength. You need no other help. You only need a teacher who can teach you what he has been taught at, in his, uh, when he was a student, but the strength is all yours. So you are the master of your own life. And I think this is a, the result of pride. It's a huge pride. And I've seen this in, in uh, yoga practitioners, a huge pride that makes them think they are all sufficient by themselves. Mm. And this cannot be true. Mm. We are not self-sufficient. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And also probably the attraction of a certain... Uh, you know, a lot of people probably do not really know what Buddhism is all about. It's there is a certain, you know, a certain exotism, exotism related to it, um, and also the the notion of materialism. Right? They think it's it's a materialistic, physicalist account of reality and of the human being. Whereas it's much more complicated, I think. Yeah. Um, I think the view of Buddhism that we have in, in the West is, is pretty much very distorted. Uh, it's, it's a construct that, it's, it's a convenient construct and it's being used as the anti-Christian mm -hmm. uh, uh, and in a way as an as a easy way out, accessible way out, out of something you don't like in your own backyard, so to speak. Well, it seems so attractive in the West because uh, Buddhists have this important uh, doctrine of skillful means, uh, which says that you have to teach everyone to the level of his own capability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because reincarnation works, one would eventually attain perfections uh, uh, after thousands or millions of lives on this earth. But you can teach one, one only one step, the next step. And for most, probably, for most people, Christianity is good for this present time. But once upon the time, they will evolve. They will reincarnate due to the good merits they have inherit from this life and will ultimately understand the right Buddhist doctrine, which is shunyata, voidness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. And what about, so you, you find one thing that you emphasize and one aspect of Christianity that you find lacking in, in Buddhism is grace, right? Yeah. Is the notion of grace. Why do you think that is so important, grace? Well, actually, uh, in uh, Tibetan Buddhism, there is a notion of grace. But strangely enough, it's a grace that, that you yourself are building to help yourself in future lives. Uh, for instance, in the, uh, the 
in the Buddhist Book of the Dead, the Tibetan Buddhist of the Dead, you can uh, reach perfection only as a result of the merits you have, inherit, have inherited in uh, previous lives. And only that is the grace that makes you reach it, that ultimate point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Ernest, what is your next book? What are uh, you working For the moment, I plan to continue this uh, YouTube channel, both in Romanian and in English. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Where you compare various religions? Yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Great, uh-huh. Excellent, yeah. All right. Uh, thank you for the for your time and for your uh, uh, book and for taking the time to, to, to write this book. An independent scholar with, I believe, almost no remuneration right you do it out of the goodness of your heart right exactly and that's in a way uh, what true scholarship is all about um uh, thank you thank you ernest thank you for having me